Thank you, Russ. Well, it's great to be with you this morning on site and online for the first time. There are many amazing things about you. There are amazing physical things about you. Take these for a few. Your stomach acid can dissolve metal. If all the DNA in your body were uncoiled, it would stretch to about 10 billion miles, which is from the Earth to Pluto and back. I don't even understand that one at all. Every second, apparently, you produce 25 million new cells. So, go, stop. You just produce 25 million new cells in that amount of time. You have amazing emotional capacities as well to give and receive love, to enjoy things, and to be rightly angry at cruelty and injustice. And you have amazing intellectual capacities. Think of the creativity you have. Even those of us who don't think we're very creative, we can still do some stuff. Memory, extraordinary capacity, and then the capacity for learning. You have in you, around you, amazing attributes. There are so many amazing things about you, but the most important thing about you is what you think of God and what you do about that. That's the most important thing about you. I read about a church leader who took some lessons in a school. And uh, one time, in one of these lessons, he wrote on the top of the board, he simply wrote the word God. And he asked the children, a class of 30, he asked them to tell him the first thing that came into their minds when they saw that word. He received back from the children, no joke, 30 negative statements. So he tried again. He put the church on the top of the blackboard. And he said, what comes to your mind? And again, 30 negatives was what he got. And then he asked them this question. It's a risky question, but he asked them this question. What would your ideal God be like? And they said things like this. He'd understand me. He wouldn't reject me. He'd be funny. He'd be forgiving. He would always listen. He'd be loving. He would make Arsenal a better team, one said. <laughs> He'd be into music. I think he is. Another said he would bring Jennifer Lopez to me every time I asked. Another said he wouldn't quit. He wouldn't bitch. He wouldn't gossip. He would always be true. And another said you could always trust him. Now, there are some very dubious contributions in that list, obviously, and many things, of course, that are missing. But what that exercise revealed, really, was that those children had within them some innate longing for a God who is just like the loving Heavenly Father that Christians know God to be. And much of what those children said could be summed up with this one word, faithful. They said he would always listen. He wouldn't quit. He would always be true. You could always trust him. God is faithful, which we're going to see in Psalm 33, verses 1 to 5, which I'm going to read to you. 
It says this, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp or the keyboard. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre or the bass. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. In verse 4, he is faithful in all he does. Theological people like to think in terms of the attributes of God. Those qualities and characteristics that mark God out as God. Things like he's holy. Things like he's omniscient, he knows everything. Things like he's almighty, he's transcendent, he's a creator, he's eternal, he's self-sufficient, and so on and so on. The attributes of God. But if you ask me what attribute of God comes to mind, if I was asked that question, one of the first would undoubtedly be this, that God is faithful. It's a wonderful, wonderful quality. It means that he is true and good and right in all that he says and does. That he is entirely reliable like nothing and no one else. That he's unchanging, that he's completely trustworthy, that he's righteous, that he's dependable. You can pile up the words and get a picture of God is faithful. One theologian described it like this, God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. Another one said, the faithfulness of God is his trustworthiness, a commitment to keep his promises to his people. So it's interesting to note in Psalm 33 the sorts of words that we find hanging around the statement in verse 4 that he is faithful in all he does. These words hang around there. The word of the Lord is right and true. And this, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. In fact, The faithfulness of God is a theme that you can follow through the whole of the Bible and especially see in the Psalms. Things like this, you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Things like this, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And this one, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. Do you get the idea? God is faithful. Now this confidence in God's faithfulness has long been an anchor for Christians when facing difficult or challenging times. The anchor was in fact commonly used as a symbol of Christian hope and of the the Christian faith, found in Roman catacombs and in other burial grounds, and used in secret communication between Christians under persecution, the sign of the anchor. So one writer says this, the first century symbol of Christianity wasn't the cross, it was the anchor 
If I'm a first century Christian and I'm hiding in the catacombs and three of my best friends have just been thrown to the lions or burned at the stake or crucified and set ablaze as torches at one of Emperor Nero's parties, the symbol that most encourages me in my faith is the anchor. When I see it, I'm reminded that Jesus is my anchor. Now, I don't know a huge amount about anchors, I have to say, but I was glad that I had one when I did my one and only abseil. I'm never doing another abseil. Don't ever ask me to do a skydive for charity or a bungee jump for any good cause or even an abseil. In my first year of uh, training to be a PE teacher, uh, for some daft reason, they had this outdoor pursuits whatever that is, a course that we had to do. You actually had to go outside in the countryside and do some pursuits, one of which was potholing. Please don't ever do that. It's terribly frightening. Uh, Even for someone as slim as me, it was really scary thinking I might get stuck in this little narrow gap. Then you had to do some canoeing. You had to learn how to capsize and, uh, and, and write yourself. I capsized and I could not pull off. I'm not joking. I could not pull off the spray thing to get out. It was absolutely terrifying. Don't do any stupid outdoor pursuits, I would say. And then we had to do this abseil. So I got to, the, I mean, it's so unnatural. I got to the edge of this cliff and, uh, and they just say, lean back like you do it every day. Well, maybe they do, but I tried to, you had to lean back. You're absolutely terrified. And you go back and back and back, but they reassure you that you are anchored to the rock. There is an anchor that will hold you and stop you from crashing to the ground. But more commonly, we might think of a ship's anchor. Here's one. I was hoping we might be able to get an anchor from like an oil tanker or something. Sadly, all we could get was an anchor from a little dinghy. But to be fair, for a little dinghy, that's pretty heavy. I've no idea the weight of an anchor of an oil tanker. But that's what we normally think of when you might think of an anchor. It's like it's a hidden point of contact with something massively secure to provide steadiness in a storm. An anchor will keep the ship safe. It will stop it from drifting, however strong the current. And it will mean that all those on board can sleep peacefully at night, even when the waves are rocking the vessel. The one time in the New Testament that anchor is used metaphorically is in Hebrews chapter 6, which is almost certainly where its use as a Christian symbol came from. In Hebrews, the context is this. Christians have been scattered due to persecution, and they're being persecuted still, and they're feeling the pressure to give up on Jesus. It's not going well. And they're being tempted to go back to the life of Judaism. And the writer speaks to them to say, don't give up on Christ. He is all that the Old Testament scriptures spoke about. He has fulfilled them all. He is the hope. Don't give up. At the end of Hebrews chapter 6, he's encouraging them to be patient, to persevere, to hang on, to keep going because God is faithful. 
And because, therefore, his promises can be relied upon. However stormy things have become. And he pictures their eternal hope as an anchor for their souls. Don't give up. Your hope is secure because it is grounded in Christ. So Hebrews chapter 6 verses 19 to 20 in what I like to call the New Francis version, soon to be published, goes like this. Be encouraged. God, who cannot lie, has made promises that are a sure and certain anchor for your soul in these stormy times. And that anchor, the writer says, is lodged firmly in the presence of God himself because it's been secured by Jesus, who has gone there ahead of us and for us. He just wants them to know God is faithful. Don't lose your hope because Jesus has secured it in his death and resurrection. I sang a song earlier. I have this hope as an anchor for my soul. Through every storm, I will hold to you. And this hope is an anchor for my soul. Our God will stand unshakable. Now, We've all had a tough time recently to one degree or another. People have had plans disrupted. People have had patterns of normal living altered. Many have had the heartache of being separated from loved ones. I think of my wife when we went to visit her dad who is seriously unwell, not being able to give him a hug. I blame no one for that, but that's really painful and difficult. And we all face uncertainty to one degree or another going forward. What you and I need in times like that, in fact, in all of times, is an anchor that locks onto something more dependable than our feelings, something more reliable than our circumstances. We need a fact that is more reliable than our feelings. We need a truth that will hold whatever the troubles you face. And the hope expressed in Psalm 33 that this anchor locks onto, just as it is in Hebrews 6, is the immovable truth that God is faithful. So verses 1 to 3 in Psalm 33 talk about singing and praising and shouting. And you might ask, well, why should I do that when life is so difficult and the future is so uncertain? And he answers his own question, if you like, in verse 4. For or because the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. You see, you can trust what he says because of who he is. And especially because in Christ, he has delivered on his promises. See, what matters most It's not the promises someone makes, but their capacity, their attributes, their ability to fulfill on their promises. So if I said to you, if I said to you, 
I will never leave you or forsake you. First off, you'd be a bit freaked out, thinking, what's he on about? What's he up to? But you'd also instinctively know, what a ridiculous promise. There's no point in saying that. There's no point in me giving any attention to that because there's no way he can deliver on that. Or if I said to you, I will provide for all your needs. You, you might wonder where my secret bank account uh, is and what funds I have available. But you'd, all, you'd also know, again, just dis- disregard that ridiculous promise. That bloke, Tim, he's always making promises. He's always saying things. He just can't deliver on them. He doesn't have the attributes or the capacity to do so. But God's attributes mean that his words and promises can be trusted because he is faithful. You know those people who say something and never deliver it? It's so frustrating. God is not like that. God cannot lie. Sometimes people say, there's nothing God can't do. To which there's always a clever answer. And you can always say back, yes, there is. And they'll say, what's that? He cannot lie. He is incapable of lying because he is faithful and he cannot be untrue to his faithfulness. So because of who God is, let's get practical. Because he's faithful, I will believe him when he says that he'll forgive me. I won't trust whether I feel it enough. I will trust his word that he says he will forgive me when I truly repent. Because he's faithful and has said he will provide for all my needs, I choose by faith to trust that is true. If God is faithful and has said he will never leave me or forsake me, I choose to believe that truth rather than my feeling that where is God at the moment? Have you ever felt like that? Where's God gone? We've all felt like that at times. But we know he cannot lie. We know he's faithful and has said he will never leave us or forsake us. So we choose the truth. Because he has faith, is faithful and has said that he will give rest to all who come to him, I will go to him and find my peace and rest there. I've experienced a bunch of times in my life when things have been really uncertain. I am absolutely sure you have too. And in each of them, thank God, I have found a conviction that he is sovereign, that he is faithful, that he will not let me go. So questions, confusion, uncertainty, anxieties, mystery can be submitted to the certainty of what we know about God. In particular, that he is faithful. I used to do lots of walks on the southwest coastal path around Tor Bay. And if you go walking anywhere, you'll always find benches, won't you? And you'll always find plaques on the benches. Uh, Usually someone's died and uh, they want to keep their memory in, in that small way. And one of those benches had a plaque on it that had been dedicated to this young man who had died. There are a number of those around Tor Bay, as there would be anywhere. This particular plaque was a young chap who had died in his 20s and 30s. What do you do when your world falls apart? I mean, that is your world falling apart. 
This little plaque simply said this. The chap's name, the year he was born, the year he died, underneath, God knows best. Now that doesn't simplify anything. That is agony. But what an anchor to know that even in that sort of time, God is faithful. There are so many amazing things about you. Well, the most important thing about you is what you think of God and what you do about that. So back to Psalm 33. The word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. May that be your anchor now and in the future, whatever storms you go through. We're going to sing in a moment, but I'd just like us to pray. Whether you're here or at home or on a campsite, let's just pray. Why don't you bring your uncertainties to him? Just mention them. He knows anyway. Just be honest. Be real. Lord, I'm facing this. Lord, you know the uncertainties or the storms that I'm facing. I trust you because you are faithful to all you have promised. You will provide. You will never leave. You will always love me and be for me. So I choose to rest in the certainty of your faithfulness.